Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you. Um, I've been with Pastor Jaron in Chicago for the past week um, at our Evangelical Covenant Church Pastors uh, Conference. I was going to say something funny, but it wasn't that funny. Um, And so um, I've been in a lot of uh, diverse spaces right now, and so I have a lot of call and response in me. And so I'm going to lead you guys and teach you in a little bit of call and response. So um, I'm going to say today is the day that the Lord has made, and you will say, and I will be joyous and be glad in it, right? So today is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So um, let us pray um, as I've had an incredibly full week um, of preaching and teaching and meetings and go, go, go. Um, And so, uh, yeah, we're going to (laughs) pray. God's mercy. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that your love overflows. God, that you are not stingy with your love. And God, we know that uh, it is not by us, but by your spirit um, that love and mercy and justice flow. So Holy Spirit, would you come in your mercy, not because we deserve it, but because we don't. Would you fill us? Would you move us? Would you bring parts of us that are dead, resurrected back to life? Help us to see once again, and we confess in many ways we are blind. Breathe fresh spirit upon us today, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I hope you guys got my PowerPoint. I just realized Y'all are so good. Um, Thank you so much, church, for sending us um, to Midwinter. Um, I uh, get to serve as um, one of the officers for the Covenant um, Asian Pastors Association, which means that they pay for it. Um, And this year, Pastor Jaren went for her first time, and she also received a Kappa Covenant Asian Pastors Association scholarship um, because she is half Iranian. Um, and so she, they, she also got scholarship. So we thank you and we thank Kappa. Um, but it is important because um, healthy pastors means healthy church. Amen? And I have to say, Jaren was a wonderful roommate. Um, man, she finished her first theology class for her ordination. Um, she went to her first Kappa gander- gathering. She rocked it, making so many friends. She absorbed so much like a sponge. Um, and she kept her roommate accountable to work out. Now, <laughs> that only happened twice, but that's okay. Um, but it reminded me again uh, what stellar staff we have um, as I listen to other churches um, and struggles that they have to keep the level of quality and commitment for all part-time staff that we have at our church is quite remarkable. And so we are so grateful and gifted um, by God. Um, former West Hills pastors, Kurt Carlson and Pastor Aging, Kurt Aging, uh, Kent Aging, um, send their greetings to you. Um, and I was kind of surprised, I was a little taken back, and this is not um, by any means to toot our horn, um, 
but to give glory to God. But I was really shocked. So many times other pastors would come up and say, man, I love what God is doing at West Hills Covenant Church from all across the nation. I was like, whoa, good job, Beatrix, on social media. Um, But they were like, wow, like we are so encouraged by the intentionality that you guys are having around maybe even difficult conversations um, that are uncomfortable but are beginning to stretch um, your hearts and your minds to be more like Jesus. Conversations around immigration and race and gender equality and creation care and the arts um, and how to just love like Jesus and your faith and hope and love um, to choose courage over comfort for the sake of the gospel is spreading. Um, so praise, praise God. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark laid down the biblical foundation of why uh, we have this last value of love, mercy, do justice. Let me see. And he kind of um, spent some time in this uh, famous uh, scripture of Micah 6, 8. God has shown you, O mortal, or the actual um, Hebrew there, Adam, um, Adam, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And he kind of brought the pieces that these last three phases, we see them as separate, but they're actually really intertwined together. So if you get a chance to listen to a sermon, um, please do. Um, When I was in seminary, I went to go understand the why um, God would want us to care for the poor and the oppressed. Um, I went to Gordon-Conwell to um, get a master's in biblical justice. And during that time, I discovered that it wasn't just the why, the scripture um, that I went for, but it was the how. Um, As I began to engage more with um, justice-seeking Jesus people, um, I began to see that justice wasn't always being practiced justly. Um, And and I've always said that my heart would be that we would do justice justly. Amen? Because what happens when we don't? Then we oppress the oppressor and we create more, what? Oppression um, and more injustice. So I made up a word. It sounds very... Hebrew, but it's not. Um, I flipped the word Micah backwards, hakim. Can we say hakim? I've been doing a lot of call and response. Y'all got, you know how black preachers say that if you don't call and response, then we're going to be here a long time because I'm going to think that you're not tracking. So, but, but hakim is that we flip it upside down, that we, we first begin walk humbly with our God. We fall in love with God's mercy. And as an overflow, as beautiful as Pastor Lynette, I love how creative she can be um, in being able to bring God's word to life, but that it overflows, right? God's, our love for God's mercy overflows as we go about seeking God's justice. So I wanted to, uh-oh, my scripture did not show up. Oh, Bible. Um, <laughs> okay, so my, my scripture of the day did not show up um, on the screen. Oh, wait. I just, I think I did it backwards. I'm going to keep going. I did. I just put it in the wrong place. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We will be looking in Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Unless you want to stand the whole time, but I wouldn't recommend that. Um, So Pastor Mark uh, talked about Old Testament mercy and justice. Um, And and we also see in Jesus' life and ministry to the poor and the oppressed, crying out for mercy throughout the Gospels, um, that the disciples, or or we could say it this way, that Jesus' church leaders continue to push them away. And Jesus continues to always choose to come closer, to come closer to those in the margins and the people that are ostracized by society. He even begins to identify and say, I am one of them. We see God's mercy. And I want to um, invite us that when you see the word mercy, let's, let's shout it out together. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But the tax collector, do you guys remember this story? The tax collector says, after the Pharisee says, oh, I'm so holy. Thank you, God, how holy I am. And that I am not like that tax collector who is a flat-out sinner. And then the tax collector goes before and he stands at a distance and he can't even look up at heaven and he beats his breast and he says Lord have mercy on me a sinner and then there's these two blind guys on the road and they hear that Jesus is coming and they shout to Jesus and they say Lord son of God have mercy on us and the crowd rebuked him the crowd rebuked him The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And then the expert of the law comes up to Jesus, tries to fool him and says, oh, what's what's the greatest command? He says, oh, love God, love your neighbor. And he's like, yeah, 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 but who's really my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And he says, well, first religious guy goes by, walks by the person who's robbed and beaten on the road. Second religious person goes by, walks by the person 
who's robbed and beaten on the road. And then a Samaritan, the least likely, the enemy, the looked down upon, comes along and, and takes the man with compassion, binds up his wounds, goes down to the hospital, to the inn, says, hey, take care of this fella and whatever other costs, I'll pay for all the medical bills. Just, just bill it to me, put it on my tab. And then Jesus says to him, who was the neighbor? Who was the one who showed love the neighbor? And the expert of the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Romans 12 says this, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy, can we say that together? Mercy triumphs over judgment. My prayer and hope is that we would fall in love with God's mercy today. Amen? That like Pastor Lynette beautifully showed God's love overflowing, that the same thing, that God's mercy would overflow um, in us and through us and out of us. Jesus' public ministry was thought to be only maybe about three years. How quickly did these disciples forget where they came from? Tax collector, fisherman, without any education, the lowest of low, the, the Galileans. Being in a highly sought-after position as the disciples, Jesus' best friends, blinded them to remember that it was only by God's mercy that they were there because of God. It wasn't because they were holy or so clever or so cute or so deserving. It was God's mercy. Because in the end of those three years, they all straight up betrayed Jesus. They scattered at the fear of the disapproving crowds. They distanced themselves now from an unfavored Jesus when it didn't benefit their reputation. And these best friends of Jesus who saw miracles of mercy and healing and love and forgiveness and liberation and even raising from the dead for three years did not stick around for the crucifixion. Or in modern words, the lynching day. They bounced. They're like, deuce. I, like the disciples, forget my roots of God's mercy. When the crowds seem angry or um, there's fear of disapproval or, oh, I don't know if I should associate myself with that person because I know other people don't like that. It's easy to do that. It's easy to bounce. The merciful part is that even though they betrayed Jesus, Jesus still came back and reinstated them with his love. Right? He reinstated Peter who totally denied him. I don't know that dude. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. I have forgotten my roots until this last week. 
Sometimes when I share my story of how I came to faith, I, I begin it with, I was an overachiever, I was addicted to approval, and then somebody told me about grace, and I was like, that was the best news ever, and I told everyone. You guys have heard me tell this before. Um, but the part of my story that I don't always tell publicly, and that I was reminded this week, was that in 1995, I went to go visit a loved one in prison. I wasn't with or following Jesus, and I had made some really, really poor decisions my freshman year in college. I wasn't the best version of myself, and I knew that I was lost. It's one thing to be lost, but it's another, you hit a whole other level when you know you're lost. And it was in that prison that I met the real Jesus. I saw God's light and power to be able to transform lives. And my life, as a result, was completely and dramatically changed forever because of God's love, mercy, and grace. I began midwinter, the pastor week, um, in Chicago with Pastor Mike Guerrero, who started off talking about, you know, this is what I think that the Holy Spirit wants us to know. This is what the Holy Spirit really cares about. And he says, I know it doesn't sound groundbreaking, but I do think it's what we need to always come back to. It's how we love one another. He says, or in my translation, how we treat one another. And then Tuesday evening, there was a fire come down from heaven, prophetic word from Pastor Sean Marshall. I think everybody should listen to it. We'll send a link. <laughs> but if you go on the, the website for Midwinter, it's Tuesday evening. I call it the deodorant sermon because it was hot. I was like, oh, Pastor Marshall. I was like, next time you preach, let me know. I'm going to wear some deodorant. But he walked um, us through a, a prophetic uh, narrative um, calling out the false gods and idols of our day and within even our denomination. And then Thursday, I left the Hyatt Hotel with all its glamour and fanciness and overpriced food. And all the wonderful national and international pastors and theologians and Christian leaders to go meet Jesus in the wilderness. When I preached in Advent, I talked about how Zechariah the prophet came and said, this child is going to be a guide to the path of peace. And, and at that time, and much like our time, it was like you're either for something or you're against something. You're either for the empire or you're against it, or you're for the resistance or you're against it. And everyone's like, you're on one side or the other. But then after 400 years of silence, of not hearing from the Lord, the word of the Lord comes to the son of Zechariah, John the Baptist, in the wilderness in the most unseen and unexpected place. I feel like I have encountered Jesus, this new word, fresh word in the wilderness. On Thursday, I went to Stateville Penitentiary. North Park Seminary has a Master's of Restorative Arts program for equipping pastors, teachers, and prophets and theologians who live in Stateville Prison outside of Chicago. 
Y'all, these were some of the best theologians and social ethicists I have ever encountered. As we had our one-hour drive, we had um, listened to some stories from people on the bus going together, a group of pastors, one of which who had grown up in the south side of Chicago and had talked about growing up in that neighborhood um, in the blue light syndrome. When you'd begin to see the blue lights behind you of the police car, and you didn't do anything wrong, and your hands are on the wheel. And I would hear story after story, and not all police are like this. I just want to say that right now. Um, many, are, many are wonderful and there to protect and serve. But in the black community, many of them have been traumatized. And he remembers as a child, police saying, I can't wait to get you to Stateville. He said that when he began to visit Stateville, that he would, at, at times he'd go back home and he'd be like, where are all the men in my community? And then he walked in and he'd say, here they are. Our brothers and uncles and fathers and grandfathers. Where are the black men for my daughter to marry? Here they are. I knew from my own story that I wasn't going to bring Jesus into the prison. I knew I was going to meet Jesus. For those of you who may not know, there are more prisons in America than colleges and universities. One out of 21 white men will go to prison, while one out of three black men will go to prison. As we start Black History Month, um, it's important to to deconstruct the history in order for us to progress forward. 400 years ago, in 1619, um, slaves were stolen from their land to be brought to a land that had been stolen. The Emancipation Proclamation came, the 13th Amendment allowed America, America to continue to keep people enslaved by saying that they would still need to be criminalized. So the 13th Amendment where we think all slaves are free, but it says unless they're a criminal. <coughs> then we had the lynching era, Jim Crow, segregation, and then the civil rights movement, which after that became one of, um, became mass incarceration. I'm not saying do away with the prison system, but there is something that drastically shift, shifted about 50, 70 years ago in our country when the prison system is no longer humane and it's not intended as God wanted it. They began with excessive sentences. Um, when you think of crack versus um, powdered cocaine, right? So who are the people that normally used powdered cocaine? White, affluent folks. And who were the people that stereotypically would use crack cocaine? The people in the brown and black communities. The sentencing for one or the other is dramatically different. Some of the men sometimes have gone into prison 
for the use of marijuana, which is now legal, up to 20 years. And many people are just victims of a racist systemic process. This is William T. Jones. When we walked up, um, he had this broad smile on his face as we began to talk, and he, and he looked at me with all sincerity and gentleness in his spirit and said, I'm innocent. So here's my website. Go check it out. He's been in for about 40 years for a crime that he um, is saying that he did not commit. He had an all-white jury, and he had two white attorneys, one who was fresh out of law school who didn't understand the complexity of the system, and another who was later discovered that was on drugs at the time. He was convicted to be, he was um, put on death row, um, which thankfully the state of Illinois has abolished that, so he got off, um, but he's still pleading and begging for his freedom. Friends, it is a modern day slavery. Um, and I came and I sat at their feet. These brilliant scholars who've been in this Masters of Arts program, Master of Restorative Arts program for two years. There are th four different little groups. Um, one on the dehumanization and mass incarceration one on racism and the witness of the church, one on returning citizens and re-entry, and one on propaganda, fear, and political advocacy. And I just wanted to share today um, a little bit of what I learned from them. Um, and, and also they really um, honored us by allowing me to actually have their own words to read to you so you can um, enter into Stateville a little bit today as well. Tall Mike came in. Irony, there's a little Mike and a tall Mike, but little Mike's taller than big Mike. Anyways, but Tall Mike came in, and he had us open up the scripture to Matthew 15. And the story is about the Canaanite woman who's crying out to Jesus. And it says, Lord, Son of God, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed demon and suffers terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. So then the disciples came to him and urged Jesus, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The story goes on, and, and Jesus ends up healing her because of her faith. But the Canaanite people, this they were not included in the original story, in the group. Um, these were definitely the outsiders. These were the Gentiles. But Jesus continued to go about doing good. And, and our friends from the inside continued to tell me, as you read scripture and you look at Jesus' life, he just kept healing and healing and healing and healing. That there was a proclamation of salvation and physical restoration. And he continued to come close to all of those that just society judged and pushed away. And he flipped the tables where he saw exploitation of the poor. 
there's this great quote that talks about why and that we shouldn't argue between, between evangelism and social responsibility. But it's a holistic gospel, right? Amen? That we need both. And it's like an airplane saying, which one is more important, my right wing or my left wing? Right? That we need both. And this is part of the witness. God's concern for the poor and the oppressed is so big that God's concern is that it's one of the most central themes in the Bible. In the New Testament, one out of every 16 verses is about the poor. In the Gospels, the, the number is one out of 10. In Luke's Gospel, is one out of every seven. And in James, the half-brother of Jesus, it's one out of every five from a Christian perspective, whenever a community ceases to care for the most vulnerable members of society, its spiritual integrity falls apart. People will continue to tell us, push them away. We're too busy. They're making us uncomfortable with their screaming. But Jesus always says, let them come to me. Amen? Jesus is amongst the least, not the greatest. We don't get to come in to situations and places. I think of Lance and Lindsay when they came and shared um, a few uh, weeks ago that we necessarily are not the saviors. Amen? We've got one savior, um, Jesus. And our privilege renders us as the problem, which means that we are the ones in need. We are the ones in need of Jesus, amen? We don't go to serve because we are so wonderfully Jesus-y, but it is rather that in the faces and the lives of those most in need that we meet the real Jesus because our incarnate Jesus identified with the poor and the oppressed. I want to read Emmanuel's letter. You never did love Negroes because your love was a conditional love. It was conditioned upon the Negro staying in his place. And the minute he stood up as a man, as a somebody, you did not love him anymore. This was Dr. King's words read in 1962. 58 years later, we're still having the conversation. Historically, the church has done one of two things. One openly supported the oppression of people of color through slavery, genocide, and the misapplication of scripture. And two, has been completely silent when that oppression was going on. And that the silent, and that silence was heard loud and clear. However, I want to take this time to speak to all the believers. Christ is an action word and demands a call to action by all who follow and strive to be Christ-like. It is not just something we say, it is a command to serve and to love unconditionally as Christ did. If we're all part of the body of Christ, despite our gender and racial differences, then how can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the foot, I have no need of you? 
The body is not one member, but many. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Those members that you deem less honorable must bestow even more abundant honor. Despite what you have may heard today, you're currently inside of a graveyard, listening and speaking to dead men. Every beautiful brother that stands before you today is in some form or another has been sentenced to die here. This is not meant to be entertaining for you. Instead, it is an urgent call for action. Will you answer that call? Can you activate your faith through actions and move mountains in order to bring Lazarus back from the dead? Or will Christ's love community be nothing more than just mere words that routinely roll off your tongues without any action for the forgotten? However, we ask today that you act. Do what you can in this moment. Today is the only day that matters. Any mistakes I have made was due to my own shortcomings, and anything you received good came from God. Thank you. You hear in Emmanuel that he's calling us to action, but he's also calling us to be rooted in to an unconditional love. Amen? So faith is... Um, so about rooted, it's, it's not necessarily always what we do, it's, it's what we, it's in our heart. So I'm going to talk about it is what we do and it is what we not do, um, but what we not do is, is looking at our heart. I used to say in seminary, I say, I think God is not just looking for merciful ministries, mercy ministries, but merciful people. Amen. We can do merciful things. We can go visit the prisoner. We can go feed the hungry. But if we are not merciful people in our hearts because we love God's mercy and we understand that it is by God's mercy that we have any life or goodness in us, then we can do damage. The love that I saw overflowing. Y'all, every inmate gets a job and they get paid around 30 cents a day. This is why I say that in a sense it is modern day slavery. When we came in, I was so thirsty, we were not allowed to bring phones, earrings, watches. Uh, we had to go through pat down and all kinds of um, different things to enter in. Uh, we weren't allowed to bring food, um, and I started getting a little grumbly in my tummy um, and, and, and a little bit thirsty after some time. And so I got um, a water bottle and a banana when I was there. Turns out that these men took their 30 cents a day, went to the commissary and bought those water bottles and bananas, and were fighting over who would be able to give the stash love overflowing Luke 7 says that there was a sinful woman washing her hair and all the people were like do you know how bad she is do you know what she did and Jesus is like the minute I came in she's, she's washing me with her whole year's wages of perfume 
And he begins to say, hey, if someone owes 500 denarii or 50 denarii, who will love the debt forgiver more? And they say, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, you've judged correctly. These men know that they have royally messed up and have made big mistakes. They also know how forgiven they have been, and it overflows with their love. I pray that I would be more like that. And the last one is that Christ is an action word, as Emmanuel taught us. It is not just what we do, it's what's in our hearts, but it is also what we do. James talks about that faith without works is dead. Mike Guerrero is talking about the Holy Spirit cares about how we treat one another. We see that our silence um, is complicit, and, and, is, and when, especially when we're silent about injustice. It doesn't necessarily mean that we go around screaming or, or we're violent, but that our faith in Jesus is active. It is moving. It's not just still and passive, amen? I wanted to read one last letter from Marcos. If I can make it through this. <laughs> I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. But what was your purpose for coming to me in person, pastor? Did you come here to shake my hand, to encourage me, and then just leave me to grow old and die here with a nice scripture and a pretty prayer? But what was the Lord's purpose for putting his spirit upon Jesus and the church? Didn't he anoint us to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives? the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's from Isaiah 61, Luke 4. You see, my brothers and sisters, God has called us to a gospel of action, to put skin in the game, to demonstrate our faith by our works. Jesus said, truly I say to you, as you did one of the least to these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Would you, pastor, visit Jesus in prison simply to encourage him and pray for him? Or would you much rather look deeper into his situation, you know, to get to know him better by perhaps asking him questions about his life, his past and his present circumstances, to learn his story? How did he end up in prison? Or even more, what could you do to help to get him out? Well, my precious sisters and brothers, I'm here this morning to tell you that today you are visiting Jesus in prison. And that today you have a unique opportunity, not just to fellowship and pray with us, but to also look deeper into our situation, get to know us on a personal level, get the inside scoop on our stories and circumstances, to learn about the dehumanizing realities of what it means to live behind these great big stone walls and razor wire fences of separation and racist systemic oppression. 
Today is a call for the church to take action. We are your brothers and sisters locked up in prison with excessively long sentences that serve no purpose but to warehouse us rather than to rehabilitate us and prepare us to make a meaningful contribution as returning citizens in our outside communities. We are fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts, some even grandparents with young adult teenage family members out there who need our love and wisdom and guidance to help steer them away from the pitfalls that could lead them to this place. We are Jesus in prison and we need your help, pastors. We need you to tell our stories so we can get to know us. We need you to visit us more, build friendships and community with us, that together we can deconstruct the fear and propaganda narrative that our systems of racism and mass incarceration have created and replace it with the kingdom culture narrative of God's will and purposes for our lives here on earth as it is in heaven. We need you to mentor and counsel and disciple us. Get involved in the process to pull people out of prison. I encourage you to start a correspondence program in your church. I'm not talking about a pen pal program, but I'm talking about the authentic relationship building rooted in listening to one another. I think about Jesus in his ministry and how he listened to people around him, everybody pointing to his sermon, that he genuinely listened to the people who were most impacted by religious and socioeconomic systems of oppression in their time. Some of the ways you can get involved are supporting our new campaign to convince the governor to use his executive clemency powers for more expansively and by supporting our campaign to bring back parole. Illinois has no parole. Rather, also called earned discretionary release to Illinois. Go to paroleillinois.org and there's steps of action you can take. He closes with this. I'm going to put a picture of him up. Where's Marcos? <clears throat> Second to the left, on the bottom, with, holding his hand with a smile. Will you pastors please get involved with this worthy God-appointed process of pulling us out of prison? When Jesus says to set the captives free, right? My name is Marcos Ramirez. I have life without possibility of parole, sentenced which my judge was reluctantly forced to do because of the mandatory sentencing statute in Illinois. I am only one of many who are languishing in prison with excessively long sentences that serve no rehabilitative or restorative purposes, only to warehouse and punish us with no just mercy. Without your help, I will die in prison. Please get involved. Thank you. My friend Michelle Clifton Sorensen is the founder and leader of Stateville, and she wrote this. 
Prison is a place that defines people by the worst things they ever done. And I want you to take a moment and think of the worst thing that you have ever done in your life. And how were you treated? In our country, based on the color of your skin, you could be treated excessively, unjustly. It's like taking a two-year-old who usually would have a two-year-old timeout, I mean, which is a two-minute timeout, and saying, you know, we're going to do timeout for two days. She says, prison is a place that defines people by the worst things they've ever done. Not only is that anti-gospel, but most of us who are free do not live that way. Most of us who live defined by the worst thing we ever have done. We live in hope and in the power of God to redeem broken lives and divided communities. Amen? The Beatitudes, the poor, the meek, the mourning in prison, to live out the Beatitudes in prison is dangerous but they are dangerous for free people as well. They mean giving up power and privilege and they force us into spaces that make us uncomfortable. My prayer is, is that our church would be a place that is rooted in God's radical love that compels us to action outside of our church walls as free people on the outside, to go to people on the inside, to places where they are unseen and invisible, that we could stretch our hands and our feet to go to the places where Christ is at. Amen? And when Jesus started, began his ministry to proclaim the good news to the poor, to let the captives be free, John the Baptist, his number one supporter, ends up in prison. And he says, yo, disciples, can you ask Jesus if he's the real deal, Holyfield? Because I'm in prison. I'm, this is a big cost for me. Go check it out. Come back and tell me, because I hope this is worth it. And Jesus says, you go back to John the Baptist. This is how you know that I am the Messiah. This is how the world will know that we are the people of God. This is how the world will know that we are the real church. Go back and report to John that what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Amen? Come on, amen? amen? That is good news. And that's when we know that we are living with Jesus and when we are living together as a community for Jesus. Amen? I'm going to have a chance at some point once I figure out how to do this. But the covenant has um, one week of prayer every week in January. Um, which it's February, so we missed the boat, but that's okay. But, but I'm still going to get copies of this, and this is um, the one week of prayer. I want to encourage us. We'll have a time where we'll go through this devotional um, called Reconciling Grace. The, I met the artist um, in Stateville who did this drawing of the Old Covenant um, symbolism, and in all of these devotionals on reflections of Reconciling Grace are written by our Stateville seminarians. These are our covenant apostles. 
I also, um, on your chairs, there should be little blue handouts, um, a list of uh, books and films to read or watch on, um, during Black History Month from Reverend Dominique Gilliard. Um, and so there's some things there. Our hope for, for us at West Hills is that we would not just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Amen? That we would have a telescope kind of imagination of how we can be God's reconcilers in a dark and broken world. Now the thing is, is if you take a little light, does it always take out some darkness, right? Light always beats darkness. But what will happen if we took all our lights together? Our world has a specific moment right now where there is extra darkness and we're going to need some extra light. And there's a sense that we need to gather together collectively as a community to shine Christ's light even brighter together. I see God working as we're doing Southwest Hope and um, alleviating hunger in our community, our global presence as we send people. I see as we educate people around race and gender and justice. I see it with Adorned and Grace and teen moms and safe families and Kairos and it goes on and on. We see God at work, but what can we do collectively all together as one community, right? I wanna encourage us um, to take this little green sheet of paper. And if you don't have one, um, actually, Beatrix, would you mind? If you don't have one, you could raise your hand, um, but Beatrix can send one. Noah obviously doesn't have one. There's someone in the back. Um, and on that um, is an opportunity for just some community discernment um, to listen and, and see where is, where is God at work? Where are you already actively involved? And um, we want to hear that. And then maybe where is it that God is um, putting something passionate on your heart um, that we can do together? We can't do everything. Um, praise Jesus. Um, but, but we can maybe discern together maybe like two or three areas really well as a church um, and to do that well. So if you um, can... Just take one of those and fill it out, um, and then we can um, turn those in um, uh, here at the front, at the podium, uh, during communion. That would be really helpful. So let's close with this. We come, we walk humbly with God. We fall in love with God's mercy. But Romans 12 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, as a result of falling in love with God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The disciples may have fled the cross, but when they saw the resurrection... They lived out God's justice and righteousness to the point of giving up their lives. Even Peter was crucified upside down. They fed the hungry. They healed the sick. They preached the fullness of God's salvation to the poor. So church, my church that I love, 
Do not be afraid of the crowds or even the disciples, your closest friends and even leaders. Don't worry about your life, what you wear or what you'll eat, but seek God's multifaceted kingdom, his righteousness and justice, because we are people of the resurrection, because we have no fear of death, that our lives are worth giving everything to God, to lay everything down out of love for one another. It's worth laying our life down for others to be liberated. It is worth laying our lives down for others to be liberated. Amen? We see that throughout black history. So let us lay it down. Our partisanship, our agendas, our power to courageously deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. If walking humbly with God is intertwined with loving God's mercy, it is in view of God's mercy, as Romans 12 says, that we can't help but to be courageous, to want to love our neighbors. This is who West Hills has always been, is now, and is continuing to be called to be. Amen? We're excited um, as Lent is around the corner um, that we'll start a new series um, looking at the book of 1 John, um, of God's love, and how we're also called to love one another. I'd like to invite our worship team um, as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, and I'll pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your great love, for your great mercy, that you do not treat us as the worst thing we ever did, that you are not excessive in your judgment, but rather you make ways for us to receive restoration and healing and forgiveness. And I pray that our own stories of reminders of how we so desperately needed your just mercy would remind us to walk humbly with you and would overflow in seeking your wholeness, your justice, your shalom, and setting all the captives free. May it be for your glory, and may we point everyone back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.